0: Begin today, I want to remind us of our vision for 2019. Our vision, you know, Bethel friends, our mission statement is the Great Commission to go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. That's Jesus talking. And lo, I'm with you always, Jesus says, even to the end of the age. That's a great commission, and that's our mission statement. And our vision statement is that in 2019, Bethel Friends will carry out the Great Commission by, who knows? By being, somebody shout it out. Thank you, Craig. Contagious Christians. So let's try that. Let's practice that, okay? In 2019, Bethel Friends will carry out the Great Commission by being Contagious. contagious Christians. You know, I hope that you are praying about this vision and taking it seriously in your life. Because whether you like it or not, we are contagious either to the detriment of Christianity or to the positive. As C.S. Lewis said, Christians are the best and worst testimonies of Christianity. So let's be the best, most best, contagious Christians we can be. As part of our um, vision... We have smart goals and I want to remind you of just a couple that maybe you can pray for. We are asking God to pray, uh, in prayer. We are asking God in prayer for 15 new believers to be added to our fellowship in 2019. I hope that you have and will continue to join me in prayer for 15 new believers to be added to our fellowship in 2019. It is awesome when you see new believers because it is so new to them. It is so fresh. They are so excited for their faith in a way that we should be and ought to be, but it's new to them. And they have all these non-Christian friends and family members to share the gospel with. We need to pray for 15 new believers. Minimally, we need to be praying that God puts people in our path for us to represent Christianity too. We also are uh, hopefully praying that we can contagiously touch 1,000 people through Bethel Friends this year with the love of Jesus. You know, we're going to continue the dance ministry, and that's um, also been on our Facebook page and website. We also are looking into Celebrate Recovery, and we're doing that. That's part of our SMART goals. I want to highlight one other, which is investigating different sports ministries. And Pastor Carl, our administrative assistant, is making contact, or has, with Upward Sports, which we're looking into Upward Soccer. So we're looking into that. We're, that's part of our vision SMART goals of 2019. And I wanted to remind you about them, but especially the broader actual vision. Be Contagious Christians. Be contagious, Christians. And what can you be contagious about? The grace of Christ, the grace of Christ. And if you have noticed a theme as we go through Galatians, if you notice a theme, we see the grace of Christ repeated again and again and again throughout Galatians. But even as we look at it, dealing with our salvation, we have, we're saved by grace through faith. Even as we look at it that way, remember that we need to extend grace to others as well. As God gives us grace, let's make sure that we are giving other people grace. Some of us, and I'll say us, can be some of the most critical people. We're just waiting for somebody to mess up. Some of you right now, you're just waiting for me to mess up this morning and say something wrong, quote a scripture wrong. And I tell you, I will, (laughs) because I am a fallen human being and trying to pursue Christ. We need to remember to have a graceful attitude towards others. As well, if you want to turn, we're going to be going to Galatians chapter 3, chapter 3, starting at verse 26. So I invite you to turn there to Galatians chapter 3, starting at verse 26 and going through chapter 4, verse 7. We've been preaching through Galatians and as we preach through Galatians, we notice a common theme, the common theme of grace, of course, as I've already stated. But we're also learning the Bible Learning the Word of God and learning what, what God has to teach us through the uh, short little epistle, six-chapter epistle of Galatians. And I want to ask, is that enough? I mean, is the Bible enough for you? Do, you? do you need always to have to find some new philosophical thing, seeking something almost like the Gnostics did, this Gnostic knowledge? Or can you be satisfied with the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ? I pray that we can all be satisfied with the word of God. We come on Sunday morning and we can think, Lord, show me something new from your word. Show me something new from your word in Sunday school and and, and, and in the worship service. Show me something new from your word. Because I think sometimes we get caught in this trap. We're always looking for some secret truth, secret knowledge, almost like philosophy. We want philosophy. We don't really want the scriptures. But the Bible is God's revealed truth to us. And 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful. Why is it useful? It's useful because it's inspired. It's useful for, because it's God-breathed. And what matters on a Sunday morning is not what I teach or what I say. It's what the Bible says. The Bible speaks through the Holy Spirit, through the church, and through the Word of God. But I think, he, I think the Holy Spirit most mostly communicates through the Word of God, because that's total truth. So I want to talk about the grace of Christ from Galatians 3.26-4.7, through 4, 7, and let's talk about inheritance first. I don't know what you... But if you turn to Galatians 3.26, just stay there. We're going to be coming there in just a minute. Um, CNN Money reported... CNN Money reported... American retirees expect to leave an average inheritance of almost... 177,000 to their heirs. Heirs. I have trouble with that word, thank you. I have trouble with that word. This ranks sixth. You've had your fun. Now it's time to be done. um, This ranks sixth in the world. This ranks sixth in the world. But this number does not apply to all Americans, however, since only 56% expect to leave any inheritance at all to their children. So 177,000. But, you know, we see in this passage in Galatians, we see an inheritance which we receive in Christ. As being adopted into God's family, we also have an inheritance in Christ. So my theme today is we are no longer slaves, but children of God. We are no longer slaves, but children of God. Everybody take your pointer finger and point it at yourself and say, I am a child of God. If you are in Christ and you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are not a servant. You are a child of God, adopted into God's family. And that is a phenomenal truth to behold, to take in. Let's read Galatians 3, 26 through chapter 4, verse 7. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Let's pause right there. I'm going to read it slowly. It's either that or read it twice. I'll just read it slowly. You are all sons of God. You could also say sons and daughters of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Through faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 27. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. I want to come back to that idea. But baptized means to immerse. It's the commandment of Christ to be baptized. And he says we are clothed with Christ. It's powerful. Verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. By the way, this means one in equality. That doesn't mean we don't have different roles. You know, as a mother has a different job than a father, you know, we have different roles in society. But we are all equal before God in Christ Jesus. We all equally have salvation through Christ Jesus. Verse 29, and if you belong to Christ and you are Abraham's descendants, Heirs according to promise, chapter 4, verse 1. Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. So that he might redeem those who were under the law. That we might receive the adoption as sons. Because your sons God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts crying Abba Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son then an heir through God. Let me review the context as we dive into this passage. Let's talk about the context. Remember where we are at in Galatians. Remember where we are at in Galatians. Paul has been writing about the law. The law had a purpose. It was not purposeless. There could be concern that as Paul talked negatively and negatively and negatively about the law, people would have thought, well, what's the purpose of the law? And in the passage we talked about last week, we talked about the purpose. The law's purpose was to lead us to Christ, or lead us until Christ. The law's purpose was to lead us until Christ came. The law was a tutor, Paul had said, a tutor to lead us until Christ came. And I talked about what a tutor meant. Last week, a tutor was a sharp disciplinarian that took care of children back then. So Paul describes the law as a sharp disciplinarian to lead us until Christ came. The law had a purpose, and we still have a purpose, especially with the moral law today. In chapter 3, verses 19 through 25, Paul talks about the law as a guardian, as I had said. And now we are picking up after talking about the guardian. And the law is a tutor to lead us to Christ. Paul says we were held in custody under the law, but then faith came. The law could not give us righteousness. Paul said that in the previous verses. The law could not give us righteousness. Faith came and Jesus came and so we are no longer under custody under the law. That brings us to verse 26. In verses 26 through 29. Let me reread those passages just to keep them front and center because it's the Bible that matters. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants. Heirs according to promise. Paul says we are all sons, and we can include daughters, of course. We are all sons and daughters through faith. We're all sons and daughters through faith. Not through the law, but through faith. We are grafted into God's family through faith. And this is an awesome truth. We have a family being grafted into God's family. In Galatians chapter 4 verse 5, we'll get into this idea of sonship more, but the the ESV study Bible shares the Greek word translated as sons is a legal term. That's really neat. It's a legal term. And it's used in the adoption and inheritance laws of 1st century Rome. The Greek term translated as sons is a legal term used in the adoption and inheritance laws of 1st century Rome. As used by Paul here and elsewhere in his letters, this term refers to the status of all Christians, both men and women, who, have been, who having been adopted into God's family, now enjoy all the privileges, obligations, and inheritance rights of God's children. Isn't that cool? All Christians, both men and women, have legally been adopted into God's family and have all the inheritance rights and enjoy the privileges, obligations, and inheritance rights of God's children. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, we have a nice picture of being baptized into Christ, being baptized into Christ. This is a nice picture of being clothed with Christ. You know, baptism was a really, really big deal then, and it still is today and ought to be. Baptism is a command. We're not saved by baptism, but we do. we are baptized in obedience to Christ. Back in the 1st and 2nd century, they would actually give them a different robe after they were baptized. They would be baptized and they would give them a different robe after they came out of the water. Kind of showing you are now clothed with Christ. You are made new in Christ. It's an awesome picture. Baptism was then and is still a big deal. Romans chapter 6-3 talks about being baptized into Christ and being baptized into his death. In Romans thirteen fourteen, Paul writes, Instead... Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh or arouse its desires. Being baptized into Christ, you are clothed with Christ. Max Lucado shares a story about this. He says, I make no claim to being a good golfer. But I love to play golf, watch golf, and on good nights I even dream golf. So when I was invited to attend the Masters Golf Tournament... I was thrilled. A pass to the Masters is the golfer's holy grail. Mine came via pro golfer Scott Simpson. Off we went to Augusta National Country Club in Georgia, where golf heritage hangs like moss from the trees. I was a kid at a candy store. It wasn't enough to see the course and walk the grounds. I wanted to see the locker room where the clubs of Ben Hogan and Paul Azinger a Razinger are displayed. But they wouldn't let me in, he writes. A guard stopped me at the entrance. I showed him my pass, but he shook his head. I told him I knew Scott, but that didn't matter. Only caddies and players, he explained. Well, he knew I wasn't a player or a caddy. Caddies are required to wear white coveralls. My clothing was a dead giveaway, so I left knowing I had made it all the way to the door, but was denied entrance. God has one, here's the application, God has one requirement for entrance into heaven, that we be clothed in Christ. When someone prays, take away my sinful rags and clothe me in your grace. Jesus, in an act visible only to the eyes of heaven, removes a stained robe and replaces it with his robe of righteousness. He removes the stained robe and replaces it with his robe of righteousness. What did Jesus do for you and me? He put on our coat of sin and wore it to the cross. As he died, his blood flowed over our sins and they were cleansed. Because of this, we have no fear of being turned away at the door of heaven. That's an awesome illustration. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 28... It says we are all one in Christ. We are all one in Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is ne- neither male nor female. There is neither slave nor free man. You are all one in Christ Jesus. This verse does not mean we lose our identity. It does not mean we lose our culture. It just means that we have equal status before God, regardless of your, of your culture, regardless of your gender. This does not mean there are no longer gender roles, though. Romans 3.22 says, namely, the righteousness of God through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there's no distinction. 1 Corinthians 12.13 says, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks or slaves or free. We were all made to drink of the one spirit. And I love Colossians 3.11. Colossians 3.11 says, here there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised. Barbarians, Scythians, slavery free But Christ is all and in all. Christianity transcends cultures. It's not tied to America or China or the Middle East or anywhere. It transcends cultures. Galatians 3.29 is an important summary. If you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's seed and you are heirs according to the promise. Really awesome. Now Paul drives the point home in Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. And I want to reread that text so it stays fresh. Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Paul says, Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave. Although he is owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. Paul's talking about inheritance rights. And it's quite obvious. If somebody is to inherit a whole bunch of stuff, but he is still a child or she is still a child, he in their world especially, they they, they would be under the tutelage, under the care of a guardian, until the date would be set by the father. Actually, one writer writes this. In Roman culture, the father determined the proper time to conduct the ceremony of passage. He took his child out from under the tutelage of his professional guardians and made him a free son. And normally he did this when he turned 14 years old, 14 years old. In fact, a child was considered just another servant or slave until that time when that child was formally adopted and considered part of the family. We were the children. Here's an application. We were the children. We had the promise, but we were under guardian. We were held in bondage under the elemental, uh, elemental principles of the world is what this passage says. Which for the Jewish people would have been the law. For the Gentiles it would have been whatever their pagan practice was. They were under bondage until Christ set them free. The ESV study Bible shares about this idea of elementary principles. Both here and in verse 9, the expression refers to the elementary principles that Galatians previously followed. As I just said, it says, which for Jews would be the Mosaic law and for Gentiles, the basic concepts of their pagan religions. But the additional overtones of demonic bondage in this phrase should not be ignored. They were, in terms of their mindset and life situation, under a legalistic system and enslaved. And Paul explains in verse 8 that this enslavement was to those that by nature are not gods. Legalistic superstition and demonic domination are closely linked. Verse 4 makes a striking change. Let me read verses 4 through 7. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons, because your sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Jesus came at just the right time. I always love this. You know, it makes me think, well, God had a plan. Of course, God had a plan. God is sovereign over all creation, and he had a plan at just the right time. God sent forth his son, sent forth Jesus to us. Now, we can read this and think that this is talking about the right time period for the gospel to spread. Others may think this is others may think this is the right time period for um, the right time period in Jew, Jewish history for the Savior of the world to come for the Messiah to come. In Romans, I believe it's actually both. I think it's the right time period in Jewish history for the Messiah, and I also think it's the right time period in world history for the gospel to spread. It's, it's both. In Romans eight eighteen through twenty two, the Bible talks about how all of creation had been waiting in eager expectation for redemption. All of creation is still waiting in eager expectation for the final redemption. As far as, and as far as the history of culture goes, at the time when God sent Jesus, things were ripe for mass communication, which helped spread the gospel. The Bible, um, one particular commentary shares this. Roads connected city with city in the first century. This is in the first century Rome, roads connected city with city. And all cities ultimately were connected with Rome. Roman laws protected the rights of citizens. And Roman soldiers guarded the peace. Thanks to both the Greek and Roman conquests, Latin and Greek were known across the empire. Christ's birth at Bethlehem was not an accident. It was an appointment. Jesus came in the fullness of time. And he will also come again in the fullness of time. By the way, I do believe uh, first, uh, 21st century America has a lot in comparison to first century of the Greco-Roman world. And just as in uh, the first century Greco-Roman world, Paul and others could take the gospel almost anywhere and they would speak Greek. They knew the language. They could travel by roads. Think of it the mass communication for the gospel right now. Think of it. You add on electronic communication, Facebook, email, Instachat, and whatever those other things are, (laughs) Instagram and Twitter and whatever they are, you know, how mass communication has changed the spread of the gospel. Think about Christian radio. I heard a story. um, Elmer Towns was our speaker for Yearly Meeting a year and a half ago at the Evangelical Friends Yearly Meeting, and he shared the history between um, uh, Liberty University and Jerry Falwell was going door to door just sharing the gospel with people. And then he saw radio towers. He saw radio towers, and he thought, I want to find out how to get on those radio stations. So then his church got on the radio, and the word of God just spread through their church and then through Liberty University, and he said something to the effect of all technology should be utilized and used for the spread of the gospel. Right now, there are tons of Christian radio programs taken internationally, such as Chuck Spindall, Insight for Living, internationally through Christian radio. So, continuing this idea, Jesus came at just the right time. That's what this passage is saying. Jesus was born under the law. And this means that Christ lived and fulfilled the Old Testament law. Verse 5 says, Christ came born of a woman, born under the law so that he might redeem us. In verse 6, we see that God has sent forth his son's spirit into our hearts. And this spirit, cries, Abba, Father, or Daddy. Verse 7 gives a nice summary. You are no longer slaves any longer. This implies that they were slaves to begin with. Slaves to sin. Slaves to the elementary principles of the world. Let's take some applications here. We must rejoice and worship that we are children of God. That's what Galatians 3.26 says. That may not really hit us because we're so used to hearing it, but I pray it hits all of us today. We are children of God, adopted into God's family. We must live for Christ, recognizing that we are baptized into Christ and clothed with Christ. We have admittance into heaven because Jesus has took our sin and given us his righteousness. We must not allow cultural differences to separate us from others. And this is a big one. A big application, neither Greek nor Jew, slave nor free, male nor female, we are all one in Christ Jesus. And I think we could add many other cultural groups, black, white, whatever. We are all children of God, and we must repent of any racist thoughts which we battle. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we all battle them. And we need to repent of them, confess confess them to God, and ask God to transform our thinking. By the way, on that note, it's amazing because a Methodist church just last week reaffirmed traditional marriage, and they did so largely because of their missions in Africa. Their missions in Africa and overseas, and all these churches in Africa came and represented the Bible better than the churches in America did. It's an awesome expression of the kingdom of God being multicultural. We must and will confess and repent of any racist thoughts. We must challenge and encourage unity. We must stand up for those who are put down by others. This all comes from Galatians 3.28. We must, we must not, though, we must not misinterpret chapter 3, verse 28 in a way that takes away differences between cultural groups and roles. There's no problem with that. There shouldn't be. Christ came, and because of that, we have the right to become a child of God. Christ came at just the right time. We must spread Jesus with others. We must be contagious. We must recognize God's sovereignty. You know, Christ gives us a greater inheritance than anything we could ever receive in this world. And it's all about Christ communicating himself to us. The first Russian cosmonaut, Yuri Gagarin, and I might have mispronounced that. If any of you know the correct pronunciation, you can correct me later. Use your critical spirit and... uh, I'm just kidding. Yuri Gagarin famously said, when he got to space, he said this, My atheism has been confirmed. He said, I went up in space and looked around, and I didn't see any God. Shortly after that, C.S. Lewis wrote an essay responding to Gagarin's statement. C.S. Lewis pointed out that if there is a God who created everything... He would not relate to us the way a person who lives upstairs relates to a person who lives downstairs. This seemed to be Gagarin's assumption. Gagarin's assumption. God lives somewhere up there. And if we climb high enough, we'll find him. If God is creator, C.S. Lewis said, then he would relate to us more like Shakespeare relates to Hamlet. Hamlet is never going to find out anything about Shakespeare By going backstage. The only way Hamlet knows Shakespeare. Is if Shakespeare. Writes information about himself. Into the play. The gospel goes one better. God inserted himself. Into the play. He wrote himself. Into creation. And amazingly. He did so. Not only as the judge. Which he would have been right to do. But as a suffering redeemer. God wrote himself into creation. John 1 1 through 1:14 talks about the word, which is God, taking on flesh and being coming one of us. I hope you've accepted Jesus' free gift of salvation. The Bible uses four verbs, four verbs to describe our commitment to Christ. They're confess, believe, commit, trust. We need to confess we are sinners in need of a Savior. We must believe that he is the one and only Savior. We must trust in him and commit to him. Let's pray right now. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you in gratitude and thanksgiving for our awesome salvation. Being adopted into your family. No longer being slaves and servants, but being children of Almighty God. Lord God, if there's some here right now who have not accepted your free gift of forgiveness. I ask that they would do that today, confessing they're a sinner in need of a Savior, believing in you as the only Savior, trusting in you and committing to you. Lord God, if anyone here, if any of us need to repent of anything, I would ask that the Holy Spirit would convict us so that we repent and turn and follow you. But we need your help, Lord. We need the Holy Spirit to help us as we leave this place. It can be sometimes easy to be a Christian on Sundays and on Sunday morning, but it might be difficult on Mondays and Tuesdays and the rest of the week. We'd ask, O Lord, that the Holy Spirit would help us and guide us, staying strong for you, but only living in your power. In Jesus' name, amen.